This is Toastcaster, podcast for Toastmasters. Your host, Greg Gazin. Episode 93, Speaking Up Without Freaking Out, Six Techniques to Calm Those Presentation Jitters, with our guest, Matt Abrahams. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest edition of Toastcaster, the podcast for leaders, communicators, and of course, Toastmasters. We have a special guest today, Matt Abrahams. He's an educator and coach. He teaches strategic communication for Stanford University's Graduate School of Business and presentation skills for Stanford's Continuing Studies program. Matt is also the co-founder of a coaching practice called Bold Echo Communication Solutions, where he helps presenters at all levels of an organization to become more confident and compelling speakers. Matt is also the author of Speaking Up Without Freaking Out, recently published in its third edition. Matt Abrahams, welcome to the program. Thanks, Greg. Really excited to be here and to continue a conversation you and I started a while back. That's right. In fact, you and I had the opportunity to speak along with Ryan Levesque. It was August of 2016 on the official Toastmasters podcast. It's episode 111, and it was called Be Confident When Being Caught Off Guard. I remember it well. It was great. And for those of you listening, I will put it in the show notes in case you want to listen to it. It's episode 111. For those of you who may not know who you are, even though you have been on the show a few times, maybe just tell us a little bit about yourself and what do you do? Yeah. So you mentioned uh, when you introduced me, I have two roles in life. One, I am a lecturer at Stanford's Graduate School of Business, so I'm an academic. And then I also have the great pleasure to be a coach as well. So I take what I learn in academia and bring it to the corporate world and then vice versa, take the experiences in the corporate world and bring them back into academe. So it's a lot of fun. And really, I'm all about helping people be more confident, connected and compelling when they communicate. I get to do that on a daily basis and enjoy it very much. Sounds like it's a lot of fun. Now, Matt, I was observing a training session recently, and there was an individual who is certainly competent. He, he was a leader in his field, and he was certainly competent at what he did. But I was, as I was watching him present, it was obvious that the jitters were getting in his way. Now, I follow you on social media. I'm not stalking, but I just follow you. And I'm also a student of uh-huh. your book. And then I came across this little infographic that you posted on LinkedIn. And it just triggered me and said, this individual would really benefit from hearing these types of techniques. So your infographic is called Six Techniques to Calm Presentation Jitters. And I'm sure we're not going to have time to cover all of them, but maybe just tell us a little bit about this infographic, how it came about, and maybe share a couple of things that would perhaps have helped this individual or could help this individual in his future presentations. Yeah, so I'm glad you found value in that. I am always on the lookout for new ways to communicate these ideas about managing anxiety. And I just so happened came across a firm that makes amazing infographics, and we got to speaking. And it turned out that they were excited to have something that would be useful to people. I was excited about having a new medium of communication. And and so we worked together and created what I hope is a a distillation of six out of the over 50 techniques my book talks about that can really help people. So this individual you're talking uh, about would likely benefit from many of those techniques. So let, let me give you an example. Clearly, one of the best things you can do when you are very nervous about speaking is just calm yourself down. Take a deep breath, calm yourself down, slow down that autonomic nervous system to the threat that we're experiencing when we're speaking in public. Additionally, 
doing things like acknowledging the anxiety, greeting it rather than running from it. This is research on mindfulness that helps with this technique, where if you say to yourself, this is me feeling nervous, it makes sense that I'm nervous, I'm doing something of importance and consequence, and it makes sense. That way we don't get carried away by the anxiety that many of us feel. So those are just two of many of the techniques on the infographic and in the book. You talked about breathing, of course. I think that's something you'd probably want to do beforehand. Now, you say acknowledge your jitters. How would you do that? You're there up on stage or you're ready to speak to someone. What does that conversation sound like? Well, first, it replaces what often many of us have in our heads, which is negative conversations with ourselves. We're saying things in the moment before we begin. How the heck did I get here? I wish I would have prepared more. Gosh, I hope my boss doesn't walk in. So we say all this negative stuff. So by simply tuning out that negative conversation and replacing it with one that says, hey, this is an important conversation I'm about to have, a, a big presentation, makes sense that I'm nervous, I, I've prepared as best I can. And that gives you just a little bit of space to act in a way that's productive to the presentation and for your audience rather than get caught up in that. So this technique works up to the moment you begin speaking. And actually, once you can begin speaking, you can actually continue to say to yourself, this is normal to feel nervous. I'm, I'm excited about what I'm doing. And you can really reframe that anxiety, which is yet another technique to think about the jitters you feel as actually being excitement rather than anxiety. So it's almost like the jitters are there instead of saying, go away, you're not there, go away. I'm not going to listen to you. I, I'm listening. I'm not listening to you. It's more like, here, I know you're here. Have a seat and listen to my conversation. Yeah, exactly. You know, there's this old adage, and I have no idea who said it. It's, you know, everybody gets butterflies in the in your stomach right before you speak. It's really about getting them to fly into formation. And that's really what you're doing is you're acknowledging that it's normal and natural, and you're going to use it to help you rather than to hurt you. I mean, sometimes in practice, it's a little challenging, especially when you're thinking about that opening line and you go, okay, which way should I go with this? Or if someone asks you a question and there's like 17 different answers that you could give and you go, okay, which one am I going to give? And sometimes you get that little jittery feeling in your stomach. Yes. Yeah. No, that can be, that's very common. You know, my, my advice in those situations is before you ever begin presenting or running a meeting, have two or three clear themes about what you want to communicate and that will help you when you're in those spontaneous moments of making choice. You, you make the choice that fits the theme and then stick with it. It's very easy to second guess yourself in the midst of speaking, but that just gets in the way of effective communication. So have some themes, use that as the guide to choices you make. And once you make the choice, stick with it. Again, your audience only knows what you tell them. They don't know what you're thinking about or could have told them. So uh, know that, that you will be perceived as confident just by making a choice. <laughs> unless you're talking, unless you're giving somebody a phone number and you miss that 10th digit, in which case I guess you've got a <laughs> one in 10 chance of getting it right. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Certainly certain situations have different guidance and advice. Number one is breathe quiet the mental noise. The second one is acknowledge your jitters. We're doing well. Let's go on to the third one, which is expect success. Correct. So many of us go into these situations dreading them and just thinking that we're going to barely get by. But if you go in setting the expectation that I know what I'm talking about, I have spent time preparing and practicing, then you can expect success. And, and again, you have to define what success means. Success might mean I get through all the materials. Success might mean people leave thinking differently or have clearer more insightful information than when they started. But if you expect success, 
rather than expecting failure, you build a virtuous positive cycle. So if I expect success, that reduces pressure on me, more likely that I'll be clear and concise when I communicate, which means I get my point across and people will see me as more confident. So it's just a very powerful way to communicate effectively. So that's a little different than being overconfident then. Oh, absolutely. Given what I do for a living, I work with a lot of people who are on either extreme of the confidence barrier. Either they're not confident at all or they're overconfident. And really, it's about being in the moment, being for your audience, being in service of your audience, and, and realizing what you have to say is of value and useful. And, and don't take that any farther. Just know you've got some good ideas, good feelings to share, and start there. Then that leads us nicely into your fourth point, which is focus on the audience. It's exactly right. You are in service of your audience whenever you communicate. It's not about you. It's about them and their needs. In advance of preparing a presentation, you need to think about who your audience is and what they need. So you have to do some reconnaissance and reflection to make sure you tailor a message for them. And then in the moment when you're presenting, just remember that you're there to give them something of value. And in fact, you can help yourself if possible before the meeting or the presentation begins, shake hands with people, introduce yourself. That helps you not only connect and get in that present moment, but it also helps you understand what they want out of your presentation. So it really forces you to be in the mind of what you're providing to your audience. I guess introducing yourself ahead of time also breaks the ice so that when you get up there, you're speaking to someone you know, so you don't feel as challenged. Sure, sure. Anything you can do to make them more relatable and to, to realize that they're everyday human beings, uh, not some scary folks that are there to just judge and evaluate you. So focus on the audience rather than yourself and the butterflies transfer away. Super. Your fifth point is be conversational. Tell us a little bit about what you meant by that. A lot of us frame our communication as a performance. And in a performance, singing, acting, dancing, playing a sport, wherever you're up in front of people, uh, we often feel that there's a right way and a wrong way. In all those other activities, there is. If you're an actor and you don't speak the line in the right way in the right place, you did it wrong. If you're an athlete and you don't do what's required of you in the right way at the right time, you've done it wrong. And we bring that same mentality into communication. And in fact, there is no right way. You've been doing this a long time, Greg. I've been doing this forever, it seems. And there is no right way to communicate. There are better ways and worse ways, but no right way. So if we can see communication as something other than performing, it'll help us. And I'd like to suggest a conversation is a great way to do that. Most people don't get nervous in conversation, or at least as nervous as they do when they present or run meetings. So if that's the case, make your communication conversational. One way to do that is envision it as a conversation, but other ways can be helpful as well. For example, practice conversationally. Sit down at a coffee shop or at a, in a restaurant and have a conversation about your topic with your, your friends or coworkers as you practice. Another way is to use questions. Questions by their very nature are conversational. So if you put questions in what you're saying, it sounds more conversational. So being conversational can be really, really helpful. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I've had cases where I've interviewed someone on a podcast and they're very good on the platform, but yet this one-on-one -on -one conversation, even over the phone or over Skype, actually made them very nervous. So I would start with just asking them a little about their self, ask them how their day was, how the family is. And then when they don't realize is that we're already into the conversation. It, it works well. Absolutely. And, and I can only imagine somebody who does what you do for a living or at least part of your living with interviewing people can really see the value of being conversational. 
Well, no, it's, there have been a few cases where you're speaking and you there are times where you're feeling, is anybody actually listening to me? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's where you have to be more, you have to build in engagement techniques to get people to, to participate. So you can assess that, that level of engagement for sure. Does being conversational actually lower the quality of the presentation? Because, you know, sometimes when you hear these speakers, these motivational speakers or inspirational speakers from the platform, it doesn't seem like they're coming across very conversational. You're right. They're not. The research that I am aware of in my own personal experience is we respond much more positively to conversation. We tend to remember it more. We we feel more at ease. And really, as an audience member, being at ease is critical because it allows you then to really take in the information that you're being uh, given and shared with you. So when you're in a situation where somebody's, I don't want to use the word yelling in a negative way, but where somebody is just broadcasting to you, it's, it can often be harder to, to take that information in. So that conversational approach has lots and lots of benefits. The last one was number six, and this one I found really interesting, and it just totally threw me for a loop. It's distract your audience. I'm very curious about this one. Yeah, I purposely labeled it that way just to jar people. Another way of putting it is engage your audience. Most people are most nervous at the beginning of their presentations and when they switch over to Q&A. And we feel the intense scrutiny of the audience. We feel as if we're being evaluated. And a great way to mitigate that is to distract your audience. Give them something to do other than focusing on you that's relevant to your goal or your message. And it's a win in three ways. Let me give you some examples of ways to distract your audience, and then I'll share the different ways that you win by doing this. Sounds great. So I coach an executive at Google, super sharp guy, keeps getting promoted, so much so that he now has a team of over 900 people. And when he does an all-hands meeting, they're all present virtually or in person, and he gets really nervous. So his most recent meeting, he started with a short video clip. All he said was, good morning, let's watch this clip. They watched about 90 seconds, two minutes of a video. And then he facilitated a discussion and he felt so much better because now they were collaborating on a discussion about the video and not evaluating him. He was no longer a presenter. He was a facilitator. You can do this by taking a poll with your audience. Ask a couple questions and see how they respond. You could throw out a question in a meeting or a presentation and have them turn to the person next to them to discuss it. You could pass out some kind of schematic or some kind of financial document or even project it, or if you're virtual, send people there to a Google Doc, et cetera, and have them look and do a task. All of that takes their attention away from you and judging you. That's the first win. Second, you get them engaged with your topic. And by being engaged with your topic, they're more likely to pay attention and like what's being done. So they, they are more active rather than passive. That's your second win. The third win is you become that facilitator and not that presenter. And most people are more comfortable being facilitators where they're interacting than when they're actually just the person speaking. So that's your third win. Distracting your audience is not hard to come up with ways to do it. And everybody wins. Get a more engaged audience. You feel less exposed and nervous and you end up facilitating interaction. So I love that technique. In fact, I, I start most of my presentations and my meetings doing just that. That's pretty awesome. So what you're doing is you're, most presenters or most speakers would want that attention to be right on them. So you're, what you're doing is you're pushing people away, get them, getting them to do something else, but it's related to what you do. And when they're all done with that, they're probably looking back at you with great intent going, okay, what's next? 
Yeah, I, I, I like everything you said and your, the way you summarize what I said. The only word I would change is you said push away. I think it's actually an invitation to engage. So when I show you a video clip that's relevant to my topic, I am actually engaging you more. I'm getting my hooks more into you. So I'm, I'm, I'm all, all I'm doing is turning your attention away, but I am actively pulling you towards my message. Point taken. <laughs> yep. Distracting your audience is something that you do quite at the beginning. Now, before you even get up on stage... Perhaps if you have some jitters, you have some butterflies, is there some type of ritual that you perform before you do that? I happen to do a ritual, but I, I, am, a, a, I am highly predisposed to ritual. Uh, I don't believe everybody has to do a ritual. But in my case, there are a couple things that I do before I present or teach that really help me focus. And that's really what it's about. It's about focus and warming up and in some cases, managing symptoms of anxiety. So one part of my ritual I've already shared, I will try to meet people who are in the room. Even if these are re, if it's a reoccurring meeting or a class I teach, I try to greet people. I always make sure to warm up my voice before I start speaking. I teach some classes very early in the morning. Sometimes I coach uh, into the late evening. I need to make sure my voice is warmed up. So I will, I will say these two words very quickly, succinctly, and privately to warm up my voice. I'll simply say the word teacup followed by the word hiccup. And when you say the word teacup, it warms up the front of your mouth. And when you say the word hiccup, it, it warms up the back of your mouth. If I am particularly nervous about the presentation I'm giving, and I still get nervous, I will hold something cold in the palms of my hand. I tend to blush and perspire when I get nervous. And if I hold something cold, it actually lowers my core body temperature. And that causes me to blush and sweat less. So my ritual is one of greeting. It's one of warming up and in some cases reducing uh, anxiety by holding something cold. Wow. Now, of course, not every method is going to work for everyone. And let's just switch over to your book a little bit, because in your book, Speaking Up Without Freaking Out, I'm a student of your book. You've got 50 techniques for confident and compelling presenting. Tell us a little bit about the book. Well, thank you. And I'm glad you're a student. I hope it's teaching you well. My uh, book was born out of frustration. So as somebody who teaches communication skills and coaches on those skills, I would help people and give them lots of ideas about how to structure messages, how to deliver them effectively. And yet at the end, people would still say, I love the advice. I see how it can help, but I'm just so darn nervous. And when I looked around at the time I initially wrote the book, there was really only what I call the PB&J advice for managing anxiety, practice breathe and just do it. And while I'm, all three of those are important, that's not enough. And it doesn't always work for every person, as you alluded to. So I, I knew that in academe, there were lots of different techniques that existed that could help people. So I, I pulled them all together, wrote the book. It's a very small, short book. The idea being you, you could jump on a flight from the East Coast, fly to the West Coast or vice versa and read the whole book and land feeling like you've got some good techniques you can use. So that was the origin of the book. Since its creation, it's received uh, lots of positive comments and that people find ways that it is helping them. So I, I'm very pleased. But again, it was born out of frustration really to help the people I teach and coach. What I really like is at the end of every, at the end of every section, you have sort of a, an activity plus a place that people can write notes in. Of course, I don't like writing in my books. So I just use a piece of paper. But I find myself every once in a while going back to it. Now, there's one item in particular I want to talk about, and this is actually one of the items that we talked about on the podcast when Ryan and I interviewed you back in 2016, and you referred to it as your Swiss Army knife of techniques. Ah, yes, yes, yes. 
I know exactly what you're going to ask about. You're going to ask about a structure that I love. And let me set it up by simply saying all of us in high stakes communication situations, I don't care if it's an email, a meeting or a presentation, we need to structure our messages so that they are easier for our audience to process. In fact, neuroscientists call structured communication or identify structured communication as something that improves what they call processing fluency, how easy it is to process that information. So having a structure matters. And there are lots of different types of structures. People might be familiar with past, present, future, comparison, contrast, conclusion. But the Swiss Army knife of all structures is what, so what, now what? This structure I love so much because it is so useful. So if it's okay with you, Greg, I'll explain how it works. Sure, by all means. You start by describing what it is you're talking about. It could be a process, a product, an idea. That's the what part. You then immediately transition into why it is important for the people listening to it. So why is this product valuable? Why is this process helpful? How could this idea change things? So that's the so what. And then the now what are the next steps that you take. It's what you might want people to do. Buy the product, implement the process, continue thinking about this idea. So what, so what, now what gives you a tight, logical framework that you can use to convey your ideas. And it can be used in answering a question, the what is the answer, the so what's why it's important, the now what tees you up for the next question. Giving feedback, the the what is the feedback, the so what is why it's important, the now what is what you want somebody to change. Writing an email, it could be in the same structure. So it is just so flexible. And I'm smiling to myself, Greg, as as I share this particular response, because I actually put my response in what, so what, now what. So I got a little meta on you and your listeners, but it's really (laughs) helpful to me and others to communicate. You're also telling us in the last episode about how management likes these types of things because it offers them some structure. Uh, Yes. Leaders, colleagues, when information is structured, it is just so much more helpful. I challenge you and your listeners just to think about the times they've listened to people prattle on and be very circular and, and just obtuse that's tiring, that's frustrating, and ultimately it reduces the accuracy and clarity of the information being exchanged. It's a technique that works very well, but in a moment I'm going to ask you, how do you get better at doing it or how do you remember to do it? Because the timing was just amazing because you and I set up this interview, I think a few days ago, but last night I was doing my first Google Hangout, and of course it's video. It's basically a video podcast. And I was asked to talk about a little bit about Toastmasters, a few other things. And what had happened was, I don't know if I consciously was thinking about it, but I got the what in there, but then I got sidetracked. And then when I came back, it was almost like I forgot the so what and went right into the now what. And of course, after I started talking about it, after I realized that, I'm thinking, oh, how am I going to bring this back in? And there was no way to, to bring it back. So, of course, as usual, I'm kicking myself afterwards. And I thought, okay, you know what? It was still okay. I'll be better the next time. So my question, again, goes back, as opposed to having to think each of these processes through every time you do something, how can you get better at doing this? Or how do you remember to do this? Any communication skill is like any other skill. The only way you get better is repetition, reflection, and feedback. Those are the three things. You've got to give yourself an opportunity to get the reps in, the practice. Toastmasters is a great avenue for that. Toastmasters is designed to help people just get the reps and practice. What I did to get better at this is I would 
read something and I didn't care what it was. It could be an email, a technical spec, a, a book for pleasure, whatever. I would read something. And then at the end of some chapter or part, I would stop and I would say, what was this about? So I would summarize it into the what. And then I would say, why is this important for me? Or what value can I take from this? That was the so what. And then the now what is I forced myself to think about how I could use that information or that idea in the future. So I would just practice that so many times that it just became second nature, so much so that I don't think at all about what, so what, now what, and I just use it because it is built in that muscle memory. So that's that repetition piece. You also have to reflect just like you did. And I love the reflection that you, you said after your recent video podcast in that at the end, you said, you know, I, I did these two things well and missed this one. And next time it'll be better. That reflection, so few people do. The only way you get better is if you think about what worked and didn't work and then create a plan to address it. And if you have trusted others, people who can help you, then ask them for feedback. Again, Toastmasters is a great example for that. I often co-teach my workshops and my classes and, and my fellow instructor becomes somebody who can give me feedback. So taking the time to get those reps in, do some reflection and get some feedback that's what's going to make the difference. And it, it takes time. I wish I could say there's some magic potion, but once you do it, it's golden and can help you forever. Matt, this has been extremely enlightening and the timing couldn't have been any better. Well, thank you. I've always enjoyed chatting with you. You ask very insightful questions. And, and more importantly, I think your questions are very practical and, and I'm all about bringing practical skills to people. So thank you. So professor, do I pass? <laughs> You do more than pass. You get extra credit. You did very well. Oh, that's super. For those who might be interested in picking up a copy of your book or trying to get a hold of you or perhaps learning about any of the other resources that you might have, what's the best way for people to reach you? I'm going to give you three things that you can do, three ways. So first and foremost, I, I encourage you to check out the book. I think it can be helpful. As you heard, Greg gets value from it. It's available on Amazon. Go look for Speaking Up Without Freaking Out. The third edition is up there. Happy to have you purchase that and, and hopefully find value from it. Along with that, I curate a website called nofreakingspeaking.com, nofreakingspeaking.com. And that's really designed as a resource for people to get better at speaking. It has some of my material, material from other people, free of charge. Go check it out. There's a blog there I write. And then uh, if somebody's more interested in getting direct help and, and consulting services for themselves or their company, the company I co-founded is called boldecho.com, B-O-L-D-E-C-H-O. Our goal is to help people be bold in their delivery and their messages to echo long after they're gone. Those are three ways to get in touch with me. Happy to be involved with your listeners in any capacity. Matt Abrahams, it's been an inspiration, it's been enlightening, and of course, as always, a learning process. Thank you very much for finding the time to speak with me today. Greg, thank you so much. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it, and, and we'll have to continue to do this every so often. I've enjoyed all the past interactions as well. Once again, this is Greg Gazin. We appreciate you tuning in. Now, I'm not sure how you joined us, whether you joined us through directly through Toastcaster.com or iTunes, but either way, you can pick up the podcasts there. If you really enjoyed the podcast, we'd really appreciate if you took a moment to leave us some feedback on iTunes because it really helps with our ratings. Plus, also feel free to drop us a line. Tell us what types of things you're interested in, what your Toastmaster specialty is, or what kinds of things you like to speak about. And perhaps maybe we'll even have you on the show. This is Greg Gazin. Till the next time. 
This episode was sponsored by Corey Outsmarts the Butterflies, a new book by Greg Gazin, geared to ages 8 to 80. Whether you want to improve your speaking skills or build your confidence, this short read is suitable for all ages. It's available at outsmartingthebutterflies.com.